1: The Dave Hooker show a presentation of off the hook sports objective insight expertise top guest available on YouTube Apple Spotify and the off the hook sports app download now for free also available on off the hook sports.com I compute and obey now to Dave Hooker ready
4: a lot to get to with Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. We'll discuss Deion Sanders for a moment. Also, is Nick Saban taking over for his coordinators, which is nothing new. And, of course, Tennessee, UTSA, the University of Texas, San Antonio, the Battle of the River, the Battle of the Riverwalk, as it's River versus Riverwalk this upcoming Saturday at Neyland Stadium. Jimmy Himes will join us as he does each and every Wednesday. We love that. We'll talk about Joe Milton. If you haven't seen on offthehooksports.com, Joe Milton is not exactly the guy that Jimmy has the most faith in. So we will discuss that. Also balls to watch for UTSA and five UTSA players to watch for the balls so we get rolling right now and rick barnes with a contract extension caleb calhoun how are you sir i'm doing good how are you doing today dave never better we begin with five balls to watch against utsa and this on off the hooksports.com via caleb calhoun and let's count them down so number five will be and then I'm going to add in whether or not I think they bounce back and have a fantastic game after I'm looking through yeah most of these guys didn't have a great game against Florida so the guys to watch I think essentially I don't want to put words in your mouth Caleb but it's guys that need to bounce back from a subpar performance against Florida is that safe to say as far as guys to watch
2: Partially, but it's also matchups, believe it or not. UTSA, the guys who really played poorly against Florida are guys that UTSA is somewhat designed to exploit, which is kind of a scary thought if you're a Tennessee fan. And so they actually they actually have to take this one seriously.
4: All right. Uh, but UTSA is not as good as we thought they would be in the offseason. I think you and I would agree with that. They're 1-2 and two and just lost a uh, Army by, I believe, double digits. So I thought they would come in here as a very formidable opponent. I don't think that's the case, but goodness knows that Tennessee's not playing at its best. So if I think this player bounces back, you'll get a Hank Kingsley.
1: Hey, now.
4: If I think that he won't, then you'll get a Tracy Morgan.
1: That's crazy.
4: All right, number five. Who is it, Caleb Calhoun? It is Andres Carrick. Hey now, I think you will because uh, Andre Carrick should now be accustomed to playing more with Cooper Mays out and him going into that left guard position as Ollie Lane was forced to move from left guard to center. I think Carrick will play better than he did against Florida when there were all kinds of issues and not being able to move the line of scrimmage, but that was Florida. This is UTSA. So, I think he fares yes. well against the Roadrunners.
5: And they're at
2: home, which helps. I think here's, I, I, I was always between him and Ollie Lane, but you are more, you're more tied into this than I am, Dave. I don't know if Cooper Mays is going to go this week or not. Um, but I will say that Texas San Antonio, they give up less than three yards of carry on the ground. They got a top 25 rush defense. So the interior of the offensive line is going to be tested again. Because Carrick and Lane played awful last weekend. It's between those two, and I don't know how much Lane's going to play. That's why I went for Carrick
5: at
4: number five. Uh, yeah, the, I mean, I understand the the, the the yards allowed, but you're talking about Houston Army and who is their uh, middle opponent. Suddenly it escapes me. Um, it escapes me I don't too. who I, well, they haven't played uh, here. We'll go ahead. and You can go ahead and pull that up while I get yeah. to the next one. So uh, number four would be... Texas State, sorry. Texas State, yeah. So, I don't think that this is a football team that has proven itself by any stretch of the imagination, but better, certainly better than we thought. Number four is Kamal Haddon. I have tried my absolute best to be supportive of Kamal Haddon and his endeavor in college football, but...
1: That's crazy!
4: I'm just... I'm I'm, I'm off the bandwagon. I, I mean... Danico Slaughter is a better player, should be back. I just don't see that Kamal Haddon is a number one cornerback, even though he has to be a number one cornerback if it's not Slaughter.
2: Last week wasn't really his fault, though. I mean, I know look, everybody's mad about that non tackle that was made. That was some of the worst tackling Tennessee gave up on that, on that touchdown run. Kamal Haddon won alone and not tackling on that play. But I gotta say that. I thought the secondary was largely fine last week. Again, it was, the, it was the rush and lack of staying in near lanes on the edges that really cost Tennessee in the first half defensively. I think I don't know if he'll bounce back, but I think he's going to be matched up with Joshua Cephas, who is UTSA's top receiver, who is a deep threat. I don't know if Taniko Slaughter, I don't know why he missed last week, but it just seems more likely that Kamal Haddon's going to be responsible for that this week, which is why I put him on here.
4: Joshua Cephas, no relationship to Hank Williams Jr. Bo Cephas. Number three, Joe Milton, the third, Tennessee's quarterback. Um, and I have no question that Tennessee's going to put him in position to play well. And if they don't, then you've got big time concerns about not just falling to nine or eight wins, but falling to seven or six. If he doesn't play well against UTSA, We're having a whole different conversation on Monday.
2: Yeah, I mean, was there any doubt that Joe Milton was going to be on this list? Obviously, he's going to be crucial in this game. And I'm just looking for, Dave, I don't know where you are, but I'm just looking for those crossing routes, those slants, those passes over the middle. What's the touch on the ball when he makes those throws? And and also the timeliness of his throws. Those are the two big things for me right now. The command of the offense, that's going to return. He's not playing in the swamp. He's playing at Neyland Stadium. It's going to be a lot friendlier crowd. He's not going to have the same issues that you had at Florida. It's going to be the timing and the accuracy. Is there anything else? The timing of the throws and the accuracy or the middle. Is there anything else we're really missing with him? No,
4: you're you're hoping for Clemson. I mean, you're you're hoping for that performance, and when he got the ball out, as soon as his back foot hit, and it was on the mark, and part of his accuracy issues are slow reads, so that's part of the issue. So he needs to get the ball out quick. Number three, it. Number two is. Well,
2: Dave can't count. Oh, sorry, you came to me. Sorry, I was just saying Dave can't count. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
4: But okay, number two is John Campbell Jr. John Campbell Jr. Hey now, I think he plays better because this is a different level of comp- uh, competition. I think he it's fair to say he's still getting used to this offense. Caleb and I also think that uh John Campbell Jr has shown me flashes of being very good. So I'm not willing to say that he he, he did have a couple of horrible plays early in the season and you pointed those out, but I'm not willing to say that he is he is uh, he's a bust quite yet as a transfer from Miami.
2: Well, in one way, he'll be tested, but in another way, it's made for him to show up this weekend. The test is that UT San Antonio, I talked about their top 25 rush defense. They are also 20th in percentage of pass plays that ended a sack nationally. So they're actually really good at rushing the passer. However, their star in that regard, Trey Moore, who has four sacks on the year, is out for an undisclosed amount of time. He was a linebacker, so now you don't know what you're going to get. But I still think John Campbell's going to be tested. And look, the tackles are a crucial part of the run game too. So either, so I think John Campbell bounces back too. But either way, he's got to show up.
4: All right, number one is Elijah Herring, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now.
5: Hey now,
4: he will play really well for one of two reasons. One, you'll you'll see UTSA. try to attack Tennessee horizontally. Now he's seen that against a better opponent in Florida. So he'll be more adept at that. Not crazy about his physical ability to get sideline to sideline, like some of the other players that Tennessee had, such as Keenan Pilly, who's hurt, or maybe an Arian Carter who uh, they think is going to be an outside linebacker. And that's fine. understand that, but Herring has seen it before. And if they just go straight up more uh, of a, a typical offense, not constantly attacking, the flats and and the outside, I think that plays to his game as well. So out of this, you've got him number one of players with things to prove. I think he is the most likely to play really well on this group.
2: Wow. You think he's more likely than
4: John Campbell to play well? Yes. Out of this group, I think he's the most to play better than last week. Maybe that's a better way of phrasing it.
2: Okay. No, that I I, I could get with that. I think he's gonna play well. I do. I, I'm with you. I think he's gonna play much better this week. And uh he he looked pretty good against Austin P, if you remember. And so I and also UTSA has some injury issues at quarterback right now and on offense in general that favor herring because the mobility is not going to be there. So we're gonna come out of this game thinking, oh, herring could be good. But you're right, I think the big thing is the more experience he has now dealing with the horizontal attack that is probably going to be used a lot more on Tennessee down the road, given the way Tim Banks attacks the quarterback.
4: Yeah, and let's talk about Tim Banks for a second. Um, Tim Banks, I thought, got caught a little bit off guard by the way Florida attacked Tennessee horizontally. But does he deserve a little bit of credit for the adjustments at halftime and what his defense did in the second half when the offense was just kind of sputtering along?
2: I mean, it's hard for me to say credit because I don't think he was the problem much in the first half. I mean, I said from the start, the reason the defense, the reason Florida was able to do that is because the offense couldn't build the lead that they should be able to build. I mean, how many times have we talked about this, Dave? Tim Banks has built a defense that plays off the offense. It reminds me, for those who don't remember, remember in the NFL, the mid-2000s, the Colts? Yes, they didn't have a good defense. It was never a top 10 defense. But what did they do really well? They rushed the passer. Remember Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis? They just unleashed them and played a cover two. The whole idea was Peyton Manning will get us a lead. Teams will try to come back and we'll unleash Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis and play a soft cover two and they won't be able to come back. That's Tim Binks. It's it's not the same scheme, don't get me wrong, but Tim Binks' defense is more vertical stunts, blitzes, things like that when you know teams are going to try to get the big play to come back and get into the game. Florida didn't have to do that at all in the first half. I think what really happened in the second half was Tennessee just ran the ball a lot better, quite honestly. And that wasn't really the line. I think Jalen Wright just ran harder because yep. he didn't have a lot of help. So that was Very
4: different. fair. Um, Bender of strings says something that I'm, I'm, I'm going to disagree with here, Bender, and I appreciate the comment. I don't think that that at any point Florida took their foot off the gas. I think that was their game plan was to keep the ball in possession, whether or not that was the first half or the second half. So I don't think it was taking your foot off the gas. Good morning to all of you all joining us now. If you're in the morning, if you're in the evening, well, you can watch it now. We're nonlinear media. So let's take a look at five UTSA Roadrunners to keep an eye on. So, uh, Caleb, give me number five on your list. You got Frank Harris at quarterback. Why is he not number one?
2: Because he didn't play last week because of an injured toe, and he may not play this week. And if he's not, it's Eddie Lee Marburger who should be on here. But Frank Harris, when he's healthy, is still a really, really, really good, dangerous quarterback. Look, this list was already hard to do. It's harder when U-T- two of UTSA's best players are hurt. Frank Harris, one, and Trey Moore, the other. Okay, number four. Number four is Kavorian Barnes. He's the running back. He's not averaging five yards a carry, but he has 51 carries, 245 yards. And similar to Hypel. Jeff Traylor, the UTSA coach, is going to use him a lot as a worker's horse before he can try to churn the deep ball.
4: All right, number three.
2: By default, because of the fact that Trey Moore is hurt, I've got Donyei Taylor at number three. He's a linebacker safety hybrid. Got uh, three tackles for a loss this year. But also watch out, not him, a former Tennessee player, a teammate of, Bryson Easton's at Whitehaven. Martavius French is now at UTSA, who is also playing linebacker. So keep an eye on him. That's if Danya Harris doesn't work out. Or Danya Taylor, excuse me. Number two. Brandon Brown. I talked about UTSA's top 20 rush defense and then being in the top 25 in sacks. Brandon Brown plays nose tackle for them. He doesn't get a lot of stats, but he is the anchor that makes that go. So watch out for Brandon Brown, particularly when, as we've talked about, the interior offensive line for Tennessee last weekend was historically transcendently awful. So,
4: and then you got Joshua Bo Cephas, who was born to Boogie. Do you even Fantastic. get my Hank Williams Jr. references? No, sorry, I don't. He's great. There's a message board. Tell me if you get my Bo Cephas references. Uh, Joshua Bo Cephas, he was born to Boogie, and uh, it's a family tradition that uh, he catches uh, deep passes down the field at UTSA. That's two, three references to Hank Williams Jr., by the way.
2: Okay. Um, well, he stands at 6'3", and he has 24 catches, 247 yards, and you don't have faith in Kamal Haddon. So it's it's possible he goes off, so watch out for him.
4: All right. Um, there you go. breakdown of uh, players you need to take uh, a close look at on saturday with quarterback issues there's no reason the vols shouldn't go out and uh and beat uh, utsa uh significantly I want to remind you apex apparel group design brand market your way unique you products to promote your business with unparalleled customer service apexapparelgroup.com apexapparelgroup.com it's time for what the h and it is brought to you by our friend at uh, Andy Mason, Andy Mason Real Here we go. What
1: the what was he thinking? Release the house. The Dave Hooker Show. K- 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 keep cool. A presentation of Off the Sports.com.
4: Really thought that Caleb just hit the nail on the head with his column at Off the Sports.com. Rick Barnes gets an extension. Let's get into the X's and O's of it. But first, the tenor of uh, Caleb's column was all about this is stability in a program that has not had that traditionally. So how important is stability to the basketball balls? Be sure to hit that subscribe and like button. We appreciate that. And if you're on a podcast platform, we would love a review. So stability, how important is it? for uh, Tennessee basketball. And let me give you an example. When I went to school in the 90s, there were times either because the basketball was so boring under Kevin O'Neill or it was Wade Houston before that, that you didn't know even being a student on campus if Tennessee was playing basketball. I mean, it was it was that bad, Caleb. And you, you're a little younger, so you, you caught um, a, a much better run At times, a a group that couldn't complete things, but at least you knew when the games were on. Um, But let's talk about Barnes' contract extension because this basketball program, more than anything, especially now that they've uh, taken Thompson Bowling Arena and called it the uh, quick checkout line brought to you by Food City, they've got to have a good basketball program. I don't know that they have to have a great basketball program, but they have to have a good basketball program and Rick Barnes will bring you that.
2: Yes. What is the, I don't know what the phrase is, but you know, don't make perfect the enemy of good or or don't make good the enemy of perfect or something like that. Because Rick Barnes, let me get this out of the way. He's the most overpaid coach in college basketball. There's not a close second. Rick Barnes is the fourth highest paid coach in college basketball right now, making about 5.88 million a year. His contract is extended through 2027, 2028, the coach is making more than him, John Calipari, Bill Self, Tom Izzo. We're talking multiple final fours, multiple national championships.
4: Five, Just, uh, five if my counts correct of, of national championships with those three guys, right? Uh four. Four. four.
2: But okay. close still and countless final fours. Rick Barnes has one final four and it was 20 years ago. The reason you do this move from Rick Barnes is because you know what you can If you're Tennessee, you know what can happen. So let's just go back through history real quick. For those who don't know, Rick Barnes is already the longest tenured coach at Tennessee since Don DeVoe. And Don DeVoe, you probably know more than I do, Dave. But as far as I'm aware, he was, I guess, it wasn't really forced out, but he kind of left under pressure to a certain degree where it just didn't seem like the fan base wanted him around anymore in 1989.
4: Oh, yeah, he was definitely forced out. He was somewhat of a poor man's Rick Barnes, okay? So, Rick Barnes gets you to the NCAA tournament each and every year, right? Pretty much? Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, Don DeVoe is the guy that got you in the talk of being in the NCAA tournament each and every year, uh, except for some really down years. So... Uh, No, Don DeVoe, was. it was clearly time to move on. Don DeVoe was the longest tenured coach because Tennessee didn't give one iota about basketball. They looked at football, as it still is, and it's 80 to 90% of the revenue. And at the time, you had Doug Dickey was your athletic director, a former football coach, so he was focused on that. So they could have gotten just about anybody to average 18 to 20 wins, and he would have hung out a long, long time. What you're seeing now is a guy that averages getting into the NCAA tournament, and that's good enough to stay around for a long time. Is that good for Tennessee fans? Is Should that suffice? Should you be well, let's, okay with that? Let's go through history real quick since Don DeVoe. Between
2: Don DeVoe and Rick Barnes, no coach lasted more than six years at Tennessee. Two were fired for NCAA violations. One – one just stupidly lied about it and wouldn't have gotten fired. And we're obviously talking about Bruce Pearl, who's had the most successful run even beyond Rick Barnes since Don DeVoe. And the other one was fired after one year because of it. So, And that's who Rick Barnes took over for. So two fired for NCAA investigations. You had Wade Houston, who was just a terrible coach in a disaster and was hired just to get Allen Houston. You had Kevin O'Neill, who is, as you point out, ran the most boring system imaginable and also – said some really offensive things a lot of times you had jerry green who decided to trash his own fan base because he just again rolled the ball out let him play but did inherit a lot of kevin o'neill recruits and secured a class himself you had buzz peterson who was probably the uh, i'm sorry do you know i can do a
4: really good jerry green impression oh really do it Yes. yes okay ask me a question as if i'm jerry green looking back on my career why did you blow
2: a nine-point lead to North Carolina by jacking threes in the four in the second half? The
4: well, I'll tell you, we we're all ready for Brendan Hayward, and we got we got him in foul trouble, and then Julius Peppers came off the bench, you know. But still, it's a pretty good team. And if, if I mean, I guess if you don't like it, you can go to Kmart and rent a movie. They don't rent movies at Kmart, but he actually said that on ball.
2: He ball. told Tennessee fans they can go to Kmart. Yes. The, the, in terms of them,
4: character, you told them to bleep off, basically.
2: Yes, exactly. In terms of character, probably the best person they hired was Buzz Peterson, but Buzz Peterson is your classic case of a former athlete who can't coach because he's a former athlete. Travis <laughs> <laughs> says, I sound like
4: Andy Rooney. All right.
2: The and, then one Bruce person- Burrell, and, then, and then the one I missed was Quanzo Martin, who, I mean, look, the, I'm not saying Quanzo was a great coach, but I, I understand Tennessee fans. I still thought he there was a lot of pressure and that was just a bad situation during the three years. Quanto was there.
4: You ever wonder why food's so expensive? That's Andy Rooney, who, by the way, Jerry green, never cursed me out, but Andy Rooney did. Um, And Caleb's too young to remember, but he was the guy who I won't do it anymore, Travis, but Andy Rooney was the guy who would basically do the kicker at the end of 60 minutes. So he had like three minutes to to sound old and rip on, Uh, young stuff and by the way smoky mountain red brings up buzz was jordan's college roommate the best man (laughs) in his wedding and all that stuff it wouldn't surprise me if it came out that they didn't even know each other because you would think michael jordan to help out his best friend and the best man in his wedding would show up once to help your basketball program and i covered that entire time and he never showed up once. Can you imagine Michael Jordan at a walked-in Thompson bowling just to watch a practice, what it would have done for Tennessee basketball?
2: Oh, it would have been amazing. But Michael doesn't. Here's the truth. Michael doesn't really like Buzz Peterson. And I'll tell you why. Okay, I've never not. heard. Oh, I've never heard this. I'm super excited. Go. So yes. Buzz Peterson admitted in 2001 when he was hired at Tennessee that he did not like north carolina recruiting michael jordan he didn't think michael jordan would fit with the team and michael jordan in his hall of fame speech mentioned players and coaches who doubted him and buzz peterson was specifically named in his hall of fame speech and so michael jordan as we all know takes things very personal he feels like buzz peterson disrespected him he feels like buzz peterson Dean Smith, to motivate Michael Jordan, put Buzz Peterson above Michael Jordan on the depth chart initially when Michael Jordan was clearly better. So Michael Jordan genuinely has a level of vendetta against Buzz Peterson. Now, Buzz Peterson's like, hey, we're connected, so we're we're cool. And, you know, Michael Jordan will be diplomatic and show up for his wedding because Buzz Peterson asked. But, yeah. So
4: do you think Tennessee stands by Rick Barnes until Rick Barnes is ready to retire? Yes, because – or do you? Th- I'm sorry. Or do you think they say that just making the tournament's not enough?
2: No, I think they stand by Rick Barnes. I don't think you run off for basketball. I don't think you run off a good coach for a potentially great coach who could also be bad. I, I I'll tell you that this this was a few years ago. This was it was about 2016. South Carolina and and Kentucky were both in the final four. There were two final four teams from the SEC, and you had looked at the SEC basketball landscape and there were a bunch of really good not great coaches and sec basketball was thriving and sec football was horrible because the sec and football at the time had run off so many good coaches because everybody was trying to have the next nick saban this must have been like 2015 2016 this was when gus malzahn butch jones kevin sumlin like these were the best sec coaches outside of nick saban the most successful ones at the time
4: all right uh, why jimmy hyams does not believe that joe Milton can take the balls to the promised land, and he wrote that column on Off the Hook Sports on Monday. We'll visit with him next. Uh, Hall of Famer, longtime sports journalist Jimmy Himes up next. Why he likes Joe Milton, but doesn't think that Joe Milton's the man. Stay tuned. Caleb Calhoun, Dave Hooker, Off the Hook Sports.
6: Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry, I'm a jeweler, and we want to be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater.
1: Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air reminding you to always dare to compare. far better than moonshine, a drink that holds flavor that becomes necessity, a hard cider made and relished by folk who are as hearty as they are legend, a refreshment that can only be found in one place, with a taste that makes you say, give me three bottles of the good stuff, Tennessee Cider Company, where necessity can be found. objective coverage hey that's new if we get caught we're going to jail the dave hooker show a presentation of off the hook sports youtube apple spotify and the free off the hook sports app i'm gonna need to see some identification back to dave hooker welcome
4: back welcome back with caleb calhoun i'm dave hooker as coming up on the program, sorry, have a little board issues. Uh, coming up on the program, we will uh, discuss a little bit of Nick Saban. Is he taking over? And I'm going to ask the question. You know, we asked this before as far as a national championship question. Will he ever win a national championship again in Alabama? I think the question is worth asking, especially with some reports that he's kind of running things um, on both sides of the ball, which I think shows a lack of confidence in his coordinators. Is he ever going to win an SEC title? I mean, how about how about that question, especially with Texas uh, and Oklahoma coming into the SEC, more so the Longhorns, of course. And the biggest concern for the ball is not named Joe Milton. We'll get to that with Jimmy Himes as well. And then you're going to see here in a little bit that Caleb and I vehemently disagree on something. And uh, that's uh, Dion Sanders. So uh, portions of the program brought to you by our friends Campbell, Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn. Look at me. No contacts. That's absolutely right. And no glasses as well. Enjoy life better when you see better. Local vision service for LASIK cataract surgery and regular eye examination. Go to ccteyes.com. That's ccteyes.com. Or you can check it out right below. Uh, Travis says Rick Barnes retires this year.
2: Are we sure we weren't talking about Nick Saban?
4: Oh, were you talking about Nick? Sa- okay, well, okay. Who's most likely to retire after this year, Nick Saban or Rick Barnes?
2: Oh, honestly, I think Nick Saban's going to be coach until he's eighty-five or ninety. I'm gonna, I think he's going to be. i I think he's going to go out onto the field on a wheelchair and coach i'm going to be honest with you so rick barnes but i think honestly i think rick barnes will too look at rick barnes dave do you see any there's age and then there's age there's like age but then there is there's people that are 80 that you could see 20 years left in them and then there's people that are 60 and you think they're on their last leg i think rick barnes is a latter i really see rick barnes could probably coach until his late 80s he looks like he's in great shape
4: no and a lot of those basketball coaches are are able to do that same for Nick Saban. A couple of things that I wanted to throw out there as we wait uh, wait Jimmy Himes' connection. Um, there are a couple of throws, and I'm, I help me clarify on this comment. Orange blood says that Dime he threw to Thornton in the second half was beautiful. Need more of that, Joe. I want to make sure that we're talking about the same play. Are we talking about the deep slant over the middle, close to the goal line? Is that what you're referring to, Orange Blood?
2: No, I actually know what he's referring to. It's it's the there was the play, it was right after that that where Thornton wanted the pass interference and it was incomplete. And then right after that, Thornton it was a beautiful third down throw over the middle that Thornton caught that got Tennessee down into the red zone. And they didn't convert because it was that fourth and one. But that was the, the thing that was that was good about Joe Milton, and we keep underrating this in the game. His sideline accuracy and his vertical accuracy was, is so much better than it was two years ago. It's the touch he's putting on the ball and the command of the offense that are still issues. But the actual accuracy, Dave, that is a lot better than it was two years ago. I, there's no denying that at this point with Joe Milton.
4: That his accuracy is a lot better?
2: Than it was when he first started against Wolden Green two years ago? Yeah. Go back and watch tape from that game.
4: No, I- no, I'll, I'll, I'll take the homework in, into consideration, but I I think that it's better, but it's still not good enough. You you had brought up one point. Well, I don't want to get caught up in that, but there are a couple of plays: the Dante Thornton deep slant, and then there was one play was it against Virginia and, uh, with Romel Keaton that I thought that was underthrown. So sometimes a uh, you know I've heard television commentators or even a completed pass that. Everything is great with Joe Milton when in in reality, um, it it hasn't necessarily been because if you lead those players out a little bit they score. All right, Jimmy Himes joins us now. He is a Hall of Famer. He's fantastic, and he wrote what I think is one of the the best pieces that's been on uh, off the hook sports. Which isn't saying a lot. We've just been around sixteen months, Jimmy. So don't <laughs> don't, don't don't take too much much for that compliment. But I it's just exploding. But I thought it was, it was very good. So um, let's start. And I want to get into the column specifically because I felt the same way on Sunday. And it was a, a perfect timing that you wrote it because it was, it was better than the angle I had. But what do you think of, of Joe Milton before we get in-depth in your column? And um, what did you think of his play on Saturday and to this point in the season?
5: Well, I thought his play on Saturday wasn't good enough. Uh, I, I thought he played pretty well against Virginia. I didn't think he played well against Austin P. Uh, he, he was one out of eight to start that game. And here was an incredible stat about Austin P. We talked about him just throwing those out routes all the time. He didn't throw hardly anything downfield. Tennessee had 228 passing yards, 210 were yards after catch. What does that tell you? That tells you all he's doing is throwing those out. I think he completed 18 of his 21 passes at the line of scrimmage or right at the line of scrimmage. Here, here's my concern about Melton, and I like him a lot, and I think Tennessee can average about 30 points a game with him, but they cannot be in optimum efficiency because his skill set doesn't fit this offense. And, and there are three factors that I think are missing. One, he doesn't run the ball very well. Secondly, he doesn't throw the ball very well on the run. And third, he does not make the quick decisions necessary to run this offense. So those are the three concerns I have. Now, again, they can average 30 points. They can win seven or eight ballgames with him, but they can't win 10 or 11 with Joe Melton, in my opinion.
4: Jimmy, to further bolster your point, I was told by somebody within the program that the game against Clemson – it was actually surprising how accurate he was on those slants and dig routes that we talked about that I thought he could make hay on after watching that game, but I was told right before the season that was the surprising thing. They didn't think that he would actually go out and perform like that. So if he can't hit on those balls and Tennessee can't run the ball without Cooper Mays, defenses are going to play back, and I think we saw that against Florida. So what's
5: the answer? Well, actually, I think some defenses, you said they, they may play back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think some defenses may press the wide receivers to take away those quick outs. Uh, that could be the next
4: evolution. Great point. Bu-
5: bubble screens. And so, I, and here's, how the, here's the other part of that. How many times under Hendon Hooker did you see them have to call a timeout to avoid delay the game? Uh, I, I just I don't remember that. But I mean, with Joe Milton, you had to do it twice on the first series of the third quarter. There's some communication problems there. How much of that is not having Cooper Mays at center? I, I don't know. That's hard to gauge. But I also think it's, uh, it's a concern about Milton being able to process things quickly. And I thought – this is just an observation. Nobody told me this. I thought watching that game with the play calling, they didn't look like they trusted Joe Milton.
1: Completely like, I agree
5: yeah we, we got to do this got to do that but we can't throw the whole book at florida because we don't trust joe milton to do the right thing and so i think they got pretty conservative with their play calling at times
2: uh jimmy i've been on the i didn't i haven't blamed the play calling too much just because i actually thought a lot of what because Heupel's offense is so dependent on being able to establish those five, six, seven-yard runs regularly if they're going to be able to do what they need to do offensively. What I do start to criticize Heupel for, though, and I want to know your thoughts on this. Look, to me, it looks worse and worse by the week that Josh Heupel ever considered Joe Milton over Hendon Hooker because it's obvious to anybody with eyes that Hendon Hooker is so much of a better quarterback. And I I just have to think... Isn't that a long-term problem of Josh Heupel, the, ta- the talent evaluator? Because it's, it's there's no debate. Hendon Hooker was, and I, I said this from the start, ask Virginia Tech fans about losing Hendon Hooker. Ask Michigan fans about losing Joe Milton. Virginia Tech fans were much more on Hooker's side than Michigan fans were on Milton's side. And Heupel, I think against the will of the team, went with Milton at the beginning of 2021.
5: I, I can't say it was against the will of the team. I, I, I don't know that. Uh, I do know... And I was surprised at this that a lot of the media covering Tennessee said that the challenge between Milton and Hooker wasn't close. That's not what I saw. Uh, and, and now, look, people fell in love with Milton's arm. You'd sit there and watch him throw an 80-yard pass. Okay, great. It, it's not so great if it not It's not caught and it's 80 yards over the, the or 20 yards over the receiver's head. But here's the other part of that: when Tennessee decided to go with Milton over Hooker. I talked to Pat Ryan, who went to a lot of practices, and I said, who would you go with? He said, Hooker. I said, why? He said, he's more consistent, and the offense moves the ball better when he's at quarterback. And then the staff went with Milton. Now, I don't don't know all the reasons why, other than I know he's got a great arm. Maybe they saw the ability to stretch the field better with Milton than Hooker. But, Caleb, I'm kind of in your camp. When you look back, it's like, how in the world could they have chosen Milton over Hooker? other than just the fact he's got a cannon for an arm.
4: Yeah, and one of the things that we can't pin on Hypo is that we saw during the season, and Smoky Mountain Red posted this, we saw during the season Hendon had that killer instinct, and he would get mad when he would get hit. And I don't want to read too much into a post-game interview because you've got the rest of the season to play for. But to be honest with you, I, I watched it two or three times, and it just seemed like to me that Joe Milton was like, ah, everything's going to be okay. A uh, big deal. Just lost to Florida. I mean, that's your SEC rival, and you're a seven point favorite,
5: Jimmy. That's a big, big deal. It, it to me, yes, it is a big deal. And and Tennessee, I thought would win the game. Now I didn't. I didn't buy into this double figure stuff, and somebody picked Tennessee forty one thirteen, which I thought was crazy. I thought it'd be a close game. I thought Tennessee would win by seven. I picked twenty seven twenty, but with Milton. I wonder if he's struggling and figuring out how he's supposed to act after a game because, man, I'd be ticked off. But maybe he's like, okay, I don't I don't want to show panic because I don't want the rest of the team to show panic. But still, I mean, I, a little bit of anger, a little bit of emotion, uh, uh, I don't think that hurts you to do that, to show that you're disgusted with the way the game went. So m- maybe he's struggling to find that, role of a leader or maybe that's just his personality oh well now we lost let's go to the next game um i would struggle with that if i were a teammate or a coach i i would be so i
4: think i would be so mad it's just we're all wired different that every answer would be about five words long and the media would be mad at me i'd be fine i want to get on the plane and that's just how i'm wired Uh, caleb i want to get to you too but uh, the obvious question nico was the number one quarterback in the country Big reason why people are excited for him. Actually, he was number two behind Arch Manning. But nevertheless, Mm -hmm. he's the highest rated prospect that Tennessee's ever gotten. They didn't have it around for Peyton Manning. So, Mm -hmm. Jimmy, let me throw at you what I hear. I hear they love Joe Milton, that aside from an injury, there is no way they would turn to Nico. But obviously, there has to be some sort of threshold. Do you think nico is even in the cards at this point uh
5: at this well that's it's hard to say the way you phrased it at this point um i think they want to stick with milton look if they have to go to nico that's bad news right that means joe milton's not playing very well and the team's not doing very well Mm -hmm. the part where they are not going to go to nico at all this year i'm not buying that i'm not buying that at all uh Mm. it depends on how joe milton plays and if Joe Milton struggles and can't move the team and can't score points, they're going to make a change. So I I don't buy into there's no way they'll make a move if, unless Milton gets hurt. But as far as right now, I don't know that they're ready for that. We heard Joey Halsley uh, talk about how he felt like Milton played well against Florida, that he was operationally good. Uh, obviously, they felt like he played better than, than I did. Uh, so I – I think there. I think if Milton struggles in the next couple of games, they're going to go to Nico uh, Iamaleva, and they may go to him by game six or seven if Milton struggles a lot and Tennessee has trouble scoring. If if Milton plays against uh, Texas San Antonio like he did against Austin P, I mean that that's just not good enough. So I are mean, looking
4: I, at a six and six season.
5: You might be. I mean, I'm sitting there thinking. Well, I wasn't going that low. I was thinking seven, five, eight, and four. But it's possible. I mean, you start looking at all the a lot of these teams. I thought, well, okay, I'm pretty confident Tennessee's going to beat. I'm not so confident if they're going to beat some of these teams now. So I think it brings a lot more losses into the equation.
2: Yeah, Jenny, it's funny you say that. I based I went really high for Tennessee this year because I was basing it off what everybody in the in, connected to Tennessee was saying by Milton. And that—that's ev- when it gets every instinct of my life. I've always gone by my eyes on the field, not what people say in practice. I thought
5: honestly. you were going based on that big win over Clemson,
2: uh, which I think you might yeah. be more on my side now <laughs> that that game didn't actually happen. Um, no, it happened.
5: <laughs> I just don't think it had anything to do with this year.
2: Um, speaking of Clemson, one of the comparisons I draw into Tennessee, and I want to know your thoughts on this, Jimmy, is that. I think they're kind of in a transition year like Clemson specifically was in 2014. If you remember, Taj Boyd really helped build Clemson up under Dabo, similar mm-hmm. to what Hendon Hooker did for Tennessee. And then Deshaun Watson, whatever you think of him personally, and I don't think highly of him took Clemson to the next level. And in between that, there was that 2014 like transition year where Cole Stout was the quarterback. Do you think yeah. the Tennessee coaches and it's yeah. possible that they're seeing this year as a transition year from Hooker to Nico, where Joe Milton's a quarterback? Well, he can keep them above water, eight, nine wins, whatever, and then they can really just turn it loose next year?
5: I don't think that's the way they viewed it. I really think they believed that Joe Milton would perform at a level that could help them win at least nine games. I, I, I think they, they felt that way. Now, there's some other pieces of this equation. I mean, the receivers haven't played at a high level. The offensive line hasn't played very well. The secondary can't tackle. Uh, so you, you've got some other issues. But, Caleb, I really think the coaching staff uh, has, has more – I would say this, they seem to have more confidence in, in what Milton could do than what we do. So I, I don't think they looked at this as a transition year. Yeah, we'll just kind of suffer through Joe Milton until Nico's ready. I think they felt like Milton was, was good enough to get them to nine or ten wins.
4: I agree with that. Portions of the program brought to you by Herald Group Security Solutions, leadership experience, specialization, in addressing problems through unique mission specific mitigation techniques. Also making your children safer one school at a time. If your child goes to private school, go to your administrator, mention Haroldgrp.com because they undergo 60 day training uh, for their security. And we're looking to get that available in public schools as well. Uh, very soon it is time for four downs it is brought to you by our friends at zen sports we'll tell you more about that as Zen sports is bringing the cash back to gambling download that app use the promo code hook but i'll tell you more about that as we get to four downs which is right now with uh, jimmy Holmes and caleb goddard
1: four downs four questions Four answers. The Dave Hooker Show. Four, four. downs. A presentation of Off the Hook
4: Okay, so that's where we stand on Joe Milton, but I don't think that saying it's all Joe Milton's fault would be accurate. So, what's the biggest concern for the balls not named Joe Milton? That'll be four downs as we get to that right now. And uh, Cooper Mays may not be on the field, but he is uh, in my uh, drop board. So, Coop, what should people do? Cooper Mays here. Hit like and subscribe. And what down, Coop?
1: Coop here. First down.
4: There we go. Tennessee's defense uh, missed tackles and out of uh, position. So, Jimmy, I will ask you as far as a concern huge, somewhat, or they'll be fine.
5: Huge. Huge concern. Mm-hmm. That, that lack of tackling the lack of effort in tackling uh what what you said what you saw at a had that, that's ridiculous it's kind of funny somebody said i've seen cornerbacks do bump and run but you're not supposed to bump and run a running back so um i i, I just I just it, it, bump and run yeah.
4: away either
5: yeah 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 <laughs> and then fall down uh, i don't um I just don't think the secondary is is uh is all that good. They haven't faced a real good passing team. Florida's not a real good passing team. They're they're a, an above average passing team, and they shredded the secondary in particular on third down in the first half. And then the secondary is not very good at tackling. Now Danico Slaughter did not play. He's probably the best tackler. I was told in the aftermath that he had an injury of some sort, which was undisclosed. But I, I, have, I have big concerns about this secondary going forward. I don't think they're really good in coverage and not very good at tackling. And so when a running back or a receiver breaks loose, I'm, I'm not real confident that the, that the defensive back is going to get them down. Caleb, missed tackles out of position, huge,
4: somewhat, or they'll be fine as far as a concern on your end?
5: i actually going to break with Jimmy. I'm going to do the
2: reverse on this one. I'm going to think they'll be fine on this one. I think, the, I think Tim Binks' defense, we've talked about it as design, For a vertical attack that plays off the offense getting a lead and teams being desperate. And they never, the offense never put them in a position to do what they're supposed to do in the first half. And, and I, yeah, that one run was ridiculous. I mean, it wasn't just Kamal Haddon, by the way. I forget who the linebacker was that tried to tackle him with his backside. I've never seen that one before in my life.
1: Okay,
4: than, I mean, than
2: I, thought, I thought that little John song, you know, back, back, back it up. I thought that was gonna come on because it's like that's what he was doing. But Jimmy, if it makes you feel um,
4: any better, I don't know who little John is either.
5: Oh, <laughs> I've heard of him, I just don't listen to his music. <laughs> yeah. you know, you're talking <laughs> so to the I'll guy, listen who's to get to low.
2: It. I'm not gonna sing the lyrics to the song out, out here because everybody my generation should be ashamed of ourselves for liking that song. I'll be the first to admit it, but um yes it was very catchy song but yes that's that was embarrassing but i do think tennessee's defense is not designed for open field tackles and wrapping up it's designed to create havoc with a vertical attack that really forces errant mistakes by the quarterback and 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 the backs in general
5: i thought we were talking about defensive backs did i miss that Oh, I thought
2: he just said defense. Did he say defensive backs?
5: No. Uh, I said, well,
4: I, I, I think that we, I said balls, defense, missed tackles and out of position. So kind of all under one roof, okay. uh, but I well, see where both where you guys are coming from.
5: Well, I would go more toward the middle on that. I think, that, and I was focusing on the secondary. Um, I, maybe I just had that in my mind. I think the defense, I think the front four is pretty decent. I think the linebackers are all right. I think they didn't have their great, a great game. But as for my huge concern is the secondary overall on defense, it would be more middle of the road. But the secondary to me is a huge concern.
4: Okay, I want to. We're trying to keep Joe Milton out of this part of it, and it's going to be difficult to do on this one. We're going to try. Uh, Coop, what down is it? Cooper Mays here. Second down. Communication. Nobody's mentioned the fact that there is a new offensive coordinator in place. Cooper is out. So part of it's got to be Joe, right? But communication in general, and they don't get Dylan Sampson in the game, the pre-snap confusion, just communication on the offensive side, huge, somewhat, or they'll be fine as far as a concern.
5: I'm going to go I'm going to go somewhat, because I think that's easily fixable, uh, but, but here's my concern about that. that. I don't see that being an issue when they play at home. But when they go on the road in a hostile environment, like Gainesville is, like Alabama is, uh, I, I have concerns about their ability to deal with that. And if you look at it, even a year ago, they struggled a little bit. Now, somebody said, well, yeah, they, it was against Georgia last year. Like, Georgia's defense was phenomenal, so I don't think it was just crowd noise. But I do think the crowd noise on the road is at an impact with communication with Tennessee, I think they had five illegal procedures against Florida. They had several against Georgia uh, last year. Uh, On the road, that offense – now, Missouri didn't have any fans, so it doesn't matter. But uh, on the road, that offense struggles a little bit.
4: Uh, Caleb, huge somewhat, or they'll be fine as far as communication?
2: I'm with Jimmy. I'm going to go somewhat, and I think it's a road thing. And Again, Tennessee, Jimmy, I talked about this last year. Georgia and South Carolina were really the only hostile environments Tennessee faced last year. And they lost both of those games. And then Florida this year, there's an underlying issue of Tennessee in hostile environments with this offense that, that Josh heupel has got to figure out. The, la- the only one I think they played well in was Kentucky in 2021.
4: Four downs brought to you by Zen Sports, the new sports book in Tennessee, revolutionizing the way you earn sports betting rewards. I would go somewhat as well on that. That means no more deposit bonuses that turn into deposit nightmares on Zen Sports. What you see is what you get, and you get uh, their cash awards program and a lot of cash. For a welcome bonus, earn an unlimited 5% cash back on your betting volume for your first 15 days when you sign up with the promo code HOOKED. That's HOOKED. Unlimited 5% cash back. Keep betting, keep earning with up to 3% cash back on your betting volume every month. After that, refer friends to earn a percentage of their betting volume as cash rewards. Zen so Sports bringing the cash back to Tennessee. So if you bet big on sports, you want to be betting – Zen Sports. Zen Sports betting just got better. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-889-9789. Must be 21 and over and in Tennessee to bet. What down, Coop? Tennessee center
1: Cooper Mays here. Third down.
4: Thank you. Tennessee's receivers not developing. Jimmy, that is a huge concern, somewhat of a concern, or they'll be fine.
5: I'm going to go somewhat. Uh, I've been disappointed that Dante Thornton hasn't developed into the player I thought he would. I think the coaching staff was very high on him in the spring. He's the Oregon transfer that's six five and has great speed. I think Squirrel White has played really well. Uh, Keaton has been pretty average. Uh, McCoy, I think they need to throw, I think they need to target him more. Now, I'll say yeah. this. He's been a heck of a blocker. He's done a really nice job in that phase, so he's a complete receiver. But I think he needs more opportunities to catch football. Caleb? I'm going to go huge because I think Tennessee's
2: offense is actually built around the receivers more than the quarterback. And the way the coaches thought was, we have NFL receivers, so even if Joe Milton's a little inaccurate, think Dante Culpepper throwing to Randy Moss back in the day. Dante Culpepper was a terrible quarterback, but he got away with it because he had – some good receivers to throw to. And I don't think the receivers have been able to bail out Joe Milton from his mediocrity this year, which they thought he would be able to.
4: I'll say two things. I think Squirrel White can create yardage um, on his own uh, through passes that Joe Milton doesn't have to be a lead on down the field. Mm -hmm. And I think there are times that you throw it to Brew McCoy, even when he's covered, because I think he's a big physical guy and he's going to be able to make plays. What down,
1: Coop? All SEC center Cooper Mays here. Fourth down?
4: Tennessee's offensive line, huge, somewhat, or they'll be fine. Where do you rate that as a concern, Jimmy?
5: I'm huge right now.
4: I'm too.
5: Uh, Now, okay, first off, I, I think they lost their two best offensive linemen from a year ago. I, I thought that uh, Darnell Wright, who was the number 10 pick in the draft, and then uh, Jerome Carvin, I thought they were their two best. Now, they had some other pretty good linemen, but I thought those, those were the two best. Now you've been with that Cooper Mays. Who knows when he's going to come back? Uh, the head coach kept saying – he kept hinting that he was going to play against Florida, which I thought was a disservice to Cooper because now the fans have reacted negatively toward Cooper, calling him soft and other things because he didn't play because they thought he was going to play because the coach said he was going to play. So, anyway, um, I don't think that the other offensive linemen have played that well. I, I'm concerned about the right tackle. I'm concerned about one of the guard positions. Uh, the left tackle, John Campbell, I, I think he's pretty good – but that's he's been pretty good. He was pretty good against Virginia and Austin P, which are terrible. I didn't think he was so good against Florida. So I, I'm, I think that's a big concern. Caleb,
4: huge somewhat or they'll be fine?
2: Somewhat right now because I think this offensive line will take a big leap forward when Cooper Maze is able to get back at center. I haven't seen too many issues at right tackle, funny enough, uh, with Jeremiah Crawford, uh, but l- huge long-term because, look, Tennessee still hasn't found enough offensive linemen for 2024. And that's a problem.
4: Jimmy, I'm going to let you out of here. It's hard to keep you so long, but the one thing I did want to ask, this is a complete just out of left field. Somebody asked me about, I'm not reporting this. I'm not even saying that it's, it's a realistic possibility, but somebody close to the program, not within the program did ask me, have you heard anything about Cooper Mays undergoing another procedure?
5: I have not heard about him undergoing another procedure. Okay. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of us know what it is. I've actually heard so many people say it. I think – I don't know if anybody's been reporting it. I but,
4: have not out of respect for Cooper, and I i heard you – I think it was on football finals that yeah. you didn't say it. So, you're my mentor, so i followed follow your lead.
5: <laughs> yeah, well, my my hands are tied when somebody tells us something off the record. But when I hear it from five or six other people, then, I mean – he had he had sports hernia surgery. That, right. That's what happened. That's why he's out. And hopefully he can come back. Um, so I, I do think he makes a difference. Uh, I think he's a good football player. I think he helps him as far as the communication. I think he helps him as far as making sure everybody's lined up properly. And so I, I think that the offensive line can take a step forward with him. But um, the, the line otherwise is not performed at the level that I thought against. And like, I'm gauging it against Florida. I can't. Virginia is so bad, and Austin P is so bad. I can't really say, "Oh, look how you know Campbell ran this guy up into the stands against Virginia." Okay, what'd you do against Florida? I didn't think the offensive line was good at all against Florida, and that was that's been my that that is my primary gauge. Jimmy, I heard, get out but of I've here. not heard I've not heard about another procedure with Cooper though. By the way, I
4: haven't either. But now that you say it, I've heard the the, the hernia was actually. And I think you and Josh Ward, your cohort, uh, cohort, didn't you suffer hernias while we all worked together? Yes.
5: Uh, I had hernia surgery.
4: Yeah. And I was, I couldn't
5: play a game for four weeks.
4: <laughs> I know Jimmy couldn't block it. <laughs> I blame soul.
1: <laughs> but, um,
4: <laughs> I was, I was told it was in three different spots. So, um, I've never had a hernia. I don't know what that means, but, uh, the, the next question we're going to ask you, but Jimmy, I am want to let you out of here. Um, But I do want to just real quick, if you had to say yay or nay, Alabama will win an SEC championship under Nick Saban, yes or no, because that's what we're going to do in the next segment. But you would say.
5: This year or ever? Ever. I'm going to say he will not win another one.
4: Ooh, that's
5: hot. Reacting. (laughs) Well, let let me explain. How old is he? He's 72. Mm Mm-hmm. Who's his quarterback in the wings that you think is going to be able to win an SEC championship? Who is that guy? He doesn't have him. So I think he's going to retire within a couple of years. And I, think, and I don't think he'll be better than Kirby Smart. So um, I don't think he's going to coach till he's 80 years old. Yeah. So I think he's going to coach a couple more years. And I think that's it. And I don't think he won a title within the next two years.
4: Jimmy, I take. Yeah, that's awesome. Jimmy, you're very generous with your time. Uh, have a blessed day, sir. We appreciate it.
5: Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Y'all have a good day.
4: Jimmy Himes on a Wednesday. You can't beat that. I'm going to share with you why I think that Nick Saban's SEC Championship days are done as well. Caleb's going to call me Mr. Overreactor. 90 seconds.
1: Candice, I was, I was really heavy into the drug culture. Um, I was selling drugs. I was just constantly pain, I was missing, like, a good support system in my life. Cadus has given me everything that I need in order to successfully have a wonderful recovery, in order to have a life that I didn't even know was possible, before. and it's not just about me anymore, and I love that. I absolutely love it. You can take your life back. Call Katus today.
6: With all that sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK vision correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah.
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC.
4: Welcome back. He is Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. As we're going to dive into a topic that Caleb's already making fun of me about. So maybe I can't even hang with him. It is time for today's tough question.
1: Today's tough question. Take a side. Take a stand. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of offthehooksports.com. All
4: right. Nick Saban. Caleb, first of all, let me find out if you and I agree that he won't win. Just give me a yeah or nay. Multiple national titles at Alabama. You would agree with that, right?
2: Yeah, he won't win multiple.
4: Okay, I'm whittling down here a national title at Alabama before he's done.
2: Yes. Because I disagree with Jimmy. He's going to coach till 80.
4: Okay. So you, so you're definitely saying SEC title. So that's what I wanted to get. to. No, I'm not.
2: No, 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 no. When the SEC goes to 16 teams and the playoff goes to 12 teams and an SEC title will be harder than a national title.
4: Interesting. Okay. So today's tough question. We want to give you some backstory here and my thoughts. Um, Today's tough question is, will Nick Saban win an SEC championship uh, before he is done at Alabama? Yay or nay?
2: Yay. I'll still go yay. Just by odds, I'll go yay.
4: That's funny. You've kind of argued with yourself there. But anyway. Uh, no, I just,
2: I just said a national title is more likely, but I still will give him one SEC title left.
4: Okay. Backstory. Um. You believe that uh, Nick Saban is monkeying around with his coordinators, correct? Tell me why.
2: Yes, and this is... And by the way, I have to tell you guys this. For everybody that doesn't like him, this is why we in the media will always give Lane Kiffin a pass and love him. Because Lane Kiffin will honestly give you gold to write about. There's only a few coaches that do that, Dave, right? And Lane Kiffin is probably one of the best if you're a media member. And... He basically said in the press conference the other day that he he was asked, what's it like going against Steele's defense? And he basically said it's more like we're going against Saban's defense. No, I'm, not, I'm not quoting him directly, but he basically said he thinks he's that Saban's calling the plays. Saban comes out and volunteers information, basically says contrary to what's been out there, Kevin Steele's our defensive coordinator. On top of that, there are rumors circulating right now that the move back to Jalen Milroe was a Saban move. And the move to Tyler Buckner and to bench Jalen Milroe was actually a Tommy Reese move, the offensive coordinator, which is, so this is Saban saying to the offensive coordinator, you don't know what you're doing. I'm taking over the offense. And Lane Kiffin is hinting that Saban is telling Kevin Steele, you don't know what you're doing. I'm taking over the defense.
4: Okay. We agree, but we, we're kind of, I think we – well, no, you think he'll win another SEC title. I don't because Texas is coming in at the conference, and I don't think he'll ever be better than Kirby Smart. And I do agree with Jimmy. I think he's got two to three to four years in him as opposed to you, you're saying like eight. Now, if, if you're right on the eight, I, I I'm totally on board with you. He'll win a national title, okay, because he, he will adjust from what I think has been a bad adjustment in going backwards in football, and that's controlling the football and playing great defense. I know it's working for Kirby Smart. But the, but he has had a very special run of quarterbacks. You can name them off: Tua, Jalen Hurts, um, uh, Max Bryce, Jones. Bryce, yeah, Jones. you can, Bryce Young, Mac Jones. You can go on and on and on. That's a special run. That's not going to happen very likely for any program in the nation ever again. And historically, it's insano. It's even better than when Tennessee had Peyton, T, Clawson, Ainge. That was a great run. You would take those four right now. but and that right
2: about Heath Shuler before Peyton.
4: Right. S- slight couple of years in between because of the transition. But you're right. Um, that was a special run. But you take the guys that we just mentioned at Alabama over that. So I think there's some luck to that. I don't think you'll have that again. Um, that's point A. Point B, I think he's always monkeyed around. I've talked to a coach that was on his staff, and he said it wasn't unusual to come up and take the offensive game plan. Now, they run the same plays. It's not like he's ripping up the plays and say, no. Rip it up on a Thursday night and say, we're going to do this instead. And it's worked for him. But here's why I don't think he wins another SEC title, because I don't think he coaches as long as you do, and we'll find out. Um, We've all speculated on that. I also think that he won't have the run of quarterbacks. I don't know who his next great quarterback is, and I don't necessarily think he's on the roster right now. And he doesn't seem to think so because he's played basically all of them for a little bit to see how they do. And now he's going back to Jalen Milrow. So, and, and the other thing is, I think he's gone backwards in time a little bit, whereas you have to have an offense that's somewhat explosive or the most dominant roster in the nation. There's only one team right now that has the most dominant roster in the nation and they wear red instead of crimson. It's Georgia. So I don't believe that he will win another sec title. And I'll add to that with Texas coming into uh, the sec. So portions of the program, including today's tough question brought to you by Andy Mason, Andy Mason, real estate.com. He's my realtor. He should be yours. Best prices and service in the business. That's Andy Mason, Andy Mason, real estate.com. Check him out. So, Caleb, digest that for a moment. What I just said, call me crazy if you like. Okay, there's a
2: lot to unpack. There's a lot to unpack. Crazy
4: Morgan always does, that's for sure.
2: That's crazy. So, you say Nick Saban went back in time. I agree with you. Now, I'm going to ask you a question real quick. Now, you say he monkeys around a lot. You're more tight end because of your years reporting than I am. Do you think this is more than usual, though, with Tommy Reese at least? Do you think he's decided, Tommy Reese, you suck? After two games, or you're terrible. I'm taking over. You don't know how to call plays.
4: I think it's more than it was with Lane Kiffin, or Jimbo, okay? or, or or Jimbo. Yes, I I think other than that, it's pretty much status quo.
2: Okay, on defense, I agree with you. It's always been Nick Saban's defense, right? Nick Saban oh. has always ran the defense. Yes. Yes. And that's... and Okay, so here's one of the things that's kind of interesting. And this is on a broader take. And stay with me here. Have you seen what Baltimore's doing in the NFL right now? hmm They're looking really good. And Lamar Jackson looks like an early MVP candidate. Who's their offensive coordinator?
4: Uh, help me. Um,
2: Todd Munkin, who was at Georgia yeah. the last two years. Right. I think Nick Saban... Yes, he went back in time. I think Kirby Smart went back in time, too, with Mike Bobo. And what I'm saying is we underrated how great great of an offensive coordinator Todd Munkin was at Georgia last year.
4: And Probably underrated Brian Dayball at Alabama.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We underrated both of them. And I think Nick Saban went back in time. Here's where – this is a rare mistake by Nick Saban. He went back in time based on a media narrative that wasn't true. The media narrative was that Kirby Smart was winning national championships the old Nick Saban way, which was a simplistic offense in all defense. No, that offense was very, very, very cutting edge. Go back and watch the motions and the plays Georgia ran. Dave, you saw George, We saw Georgia play Tennessee, covering Tennessee, and Georgia just overwhelmed Tennessee on the offensive line, and that was just a different game. But Todd Munkin is a very creative offensive coordinator, and Tommy Reese is not, and I think... That's an overreaction. I think Tommy Reese is going to be out of there in a year and Nick Saban will find a better offensive coordinator. Now, Kevin Steele, that is totally a Nick Saban's like, I'd rather just run the defense. For those who don't know, Kevin Steele is actually not a bad defensive coordinator. For people who bring up the 70 points with the Clemson game 10 years ago. I'm going to expose something that I'm a little uncomfortable because we don't know all the details, but Kevin Steele has once every five to 10 years, what we might call a mental lapse in a game. He was coaching at Carolina one year. No, he was coaching a defensive coordinator at Auburn, I think, one year, and pulled out an old playbook from Carolina in the middle of the game to call that. I think that was the game. There's, It happens once every five years, and it's something that just, I don't know what happens when he does it. But he does. it does happen every now and then. I think Saban brought in Kevin Steele, knowing that, knowing that outside of that, Kevin Steele can coach defense, and Nick Saban can be the guy to call plays and take over when things go rough. I think Nick Saban is actually more on a mission and on a terror. I think Nick Saban was very frustrated about Georgia the last two years. He dominated on the recruiting trail. And Nick Saban has decided, I want guys that will run what I want to run, but I want to fully take over this team. I'm so driven right now. I'm going to do everything. I'm running everything until I get another national title. I think that's Nick Saban's mind. I think he's working harder right now than he's ever worked before. And for people who compare him to Bear Bryant, because I saw that, people say he's older than Bear Bryant. Bear Bryant was one of the most out of shape sixty-five year old men in the history of college football. I mean, well, I
4: mean, the guy the guy was famous for smoking a pack of cigarettes, leaning up against the goalpost before a game, and was quite the quite the drinker. Um, yes, so yeah, these are two different dudes.
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. Nick Saban is the most driven. He works twenty hours a day. I think I work hard with what I do. Nick Saban doesn't stop working all the time and I've, everything I've read is he's been people close to the program talk about. He is more driven than ever before. And I think he hired coordinators basically in name only this time. And he wants to run the entire show, do more work than he's doing more work than any coach in football
1: right now.
4: All right. Changing gears. Deion Sanders, a smoke screen. You say that he's a smoke screen because he didn't remember a player's name. All right. Yes. So I'm going to let you make your case. And then I'm going to, I'm gonna show you why you're wrong. Well, but, can we, let- but let's pull this up first. Here is Dion Sanders talking to the media when he forgets one of his players' names.
2: Yes, this is. So for for context, Hank Zolinski was starting at center for Colorado because their first and second stringer went down in the game, and Dion was asked about how he played. Here's his response.
1: And we got a field goal. Hey, coach
5: of Carlos Bryant, DSM. Can you talk about Hank Zelenkis? He was the true freshman that got the Ooh. start today at center. Hank? Zelenkis. Oh, I'm
1: sorry. I to, I'm thinking Hank. Yeah, he got the uh, got got start as a true freshman today at center. Can you Hanks. talk about him? Uh,
2: sorry, that's all you needed. He didn't know who his center was. He did not know um, who he was.
4: I have to be honest with you. I have zero problem with that. Because the roster turned over about 50% from last year and the guys could go by nicknames and i don't think that deon sanders is anywhere close to a traditional coach i think he's there to raise money and i want to tie this into a tennessee thing that you guys might find interesting when tennessee hired david cutcliffe because randy sanders didn't work out i remember philip Fulmer talking to the media after the press conference the few that would hang out and continue to get, get a little more info and he said, You know, I, I see this evolving as me being a recruiter and a guy that is, is able to raise money. And I thought it was a very open moment um, for uh, Philip to say that. And Caleb, I, I believe that this was a simple oversight. Um, I don't think you would see it from a Josh Hypool. But I don't think it's an indictment of Deion Sanders that he is not going to have success because I believe he will. I don't think that he cares as much about his his players one to eighty-five. I think he cares about the guys that are going to help him win. And I don't know that Hank Zalikus is part of his long term <laughs> plan in Colorado.
2: I'm totally going to push back. Now let me I want this out there before I say what I'm about to say. I have not been one of those Dion is breaking with traditions of college football. I think there's a lot of college football fans upset at Dion because there's new fans who don't know a lot about college football watching the sport now and they don't like how little those new fans know. Guys, accept it. That's that's life. I've always, I want things I follow to have more fans and I'm sure you do too, Dave. Okay. And I can just tell you when I moved to DC and a lot of hockey fans tried to get me to get into hockey, I got into it. And then all they did was lecture me on how much I didn't know. And I got sick of hockey fans doing that. So I'm like, you know what? I'm never watching hockey again. Except that when you have casual fans who may not know as much about the sport and Dion's doing a great job bringing those in. This is a big deal because I do think he'll have success this year. Can he have success long-term though? And here's what I mean by that. Dion is having success because Sean Lewis and Charles Kelly are doing heck of a job as offensive and defensive coordinators. And then he can just go out on the recruiting trail and sell the program and sell Colorado. Great. Philip former knew every one of his players. I mean, I remember his, He knew him and he knew them personally. I mean, what I think the best thing about Philip Fulmer is for the most part, he really tried to develop a personal connection with every single player on Tennessee. If he could, even if he wasn't going to coach them on the day-to-day practices and with Dion, I'm not talking about scandal here, but I am going to go here. It reminds me a lot of Joe Paterno at Penn state who did not even coach Penn state. The last 10 years who got credit for a win at tennis against Tennessee, where he sat in the press box with his foot up on the, on the uh, table and just watched the game without even wearing a headset. And he got credit for that win. Joe Paterno. I'm going to question if he ever coached a game in his life, he should have all his wins removed because he didn't actually coach. Okay. He just watched the game as a fan and hired staff to coach. And I, I have to be honest. I'm seeing that in Deion Sanders. And I don't think that's a good thing. I think that, again, I've always held Joe Paterno before the scandal in, with disdain because I felt like he was just a mascot at Penn State. And he, he had as much power as the head, as, as the Queen of England or King of England had has right now. Okay, just a head of state without an actual, a title without actual power. And it seems like Deion Sanders is just head coach in title, but not making any executive decisions for Colorado. That's my guess.
4: Well, you're not quite as old as me, so I would say this. Um, I think Joe Paterno was a much better coach <clears throat> than maybe you're giving him credit for. Now, towards the end, you're absolutely right. When he had his leg propped up at the um, – what bowl game was it? The outback coaches, bowl. And yeah, champions. the outback bowl and I, that, that I was at. I mean, the, it, it clearly, that was not – I mean, that was not him. I mean, that I think he was better than that. But – Ultimately, I think Deion Sanders is going to make this work long term because I think uh, NIL in the state that it is, is not going to uh, change. Uh, Travis says, I love that Deion is a mascot. Makes perfect sense. Maybe. And I don't think he can X's and O's with anybody on Tennessee's staff. I don't think he can X's and O's with most of the SEC coaches. Um, And I mean, assistant coaches, too. But I think he can recruit. I think it's about players. It's about the Jimmys and Joes, not the X's and O's. And he has gotten Colorado on board to to hire assistants and provide NIL money that has changed the game um, in Colorado and made them relevant. So does he win national championships? I wouldn't be surprised if he does at this point. Now, is he a little goofy and does he rub people, especially in the South, the wrong way? Certainly. Certainly. Although
2: Southerners watched that game. Did you see this stats in the ratings? Like, it was Dion, like Southerners were watching Dion more than they were watching SEC games on Saturday. (laughs) It it was a great stat. I mean, mean
4: I just don't see how he can fail at this point. Now, the way he can fail is if he starts losing these really good assistant coaches.
2: That's where I was
4: going okay. to go. If they, if they have great success because of the talent he's assembled and Washington State comes calling for one of his coordinators and they want to be a head coach, they, they might go to Washington State. But then he goes out and he tries to replace them with another one. Here's the other thing to remember. Shador Sanders and is it Travis Hunter, I believe. I mean, those, those are big monster gets. And Sanders is his son and eventually is – those guys are going to go off to the NFL and um, he has another son that plays and then a son that's a videographer, but I don't think it's just about his son, but I'll say this, Shadur Sanders, if you haven't watched him play, if Tennessee has Shadur Sanders, they're every bit as good as they were last year, maybe better on offense. I mean, he he is an incredible talent and I'll be honest with you. I didn't watch Jackson State. I didn't know that, but I can watch Shadur Sanders or a, roughly three minutes or eight plays and tell you that he is very, very good light on his feet, has good pocket presence, knows when to run, when not to run. Don't be surprised if he's the number one pick in the NFL draft one day because he has size too. So he's not going to have Shador Sanders forever. Um, so then I think the quarterback position becomes an issue, but with what he's and done. And so Lewis this-
2: might get a job after this year, The the offensive coordinator. I would hire Sean Lewis right now if I were about half the SEC.
4: No, I agree.
2: And, and what I, happens when – look at Ed Orgeron, and I'm not saying De- – I, I think Deion Sanders is a lot smarter than Ed Orgeron. Like I think, I think Deion Sanders' IQ like lapsed Ed Ron's like 5,000 times. Okay, but I will say the minute Steve Insminger left and Joe Brady left, look at what happened to Ed Orgeron in LSU. And you're saying that Absolutely. can't happen to Deion at Colorado? You know, it it, it
4: can, can. It can. But Travis also says he leaves when his son is, it, it does. This is a guy at Jackson State who said, I'm eventually going to leave. Like, And no no coach says that. During your <laughs> tenure, say, I'm eventually going to leave for a bigger and better job. I want to build something here. And he did. So far, he said at Colorado, he's been blown away. And he loves it there. And he never even thought he would be there. And I know this is a honeymoon period. Don't be surprised if he's at Colorado long-term because that's going to turn out to be a pretty good job because NIL, you can recruit people to there. They were able to recruit out of Compton back in the day because a lot of parents won their kids out of Compton. That's why Bill McCartney won a share of the national championship in the early nineties. So don't be surprised if he stays there long-term. And I don't think he's he's going to the NFL. Why would you come to the SEC? That's going to be tougher. If the Georgia job opens up tomorrow, they're not going to call Dion. First of all, but if they did, would you take that job? No, in particular, uh, no and particularly if you can recruit out in
2: Colorado. All right, hot take. I'm about to trigger so many people. If I got a choice between living in Colorado, Alabama, or Mississippi, I'm living in Colorado. I'm sorry, it's so much nicer than Alabama or Mississippi. Come at me, SEC fans. I don't care. Okay, I when Dion said he was looking when he was at Jackson State, because he was in Jackson. Jackson or Boulder, Dave? Where are you going to live?
4: Well, I mean, I would live in Boulder over Jackson. I haven't been to Boulder. I've been in the Denver airport. It looks beautiful. I've heard it's fantastic. But I will say this: I mean, at, at the end of the day, I would rather live in the South. Now, there are places in Alabama that I wouldn't want to live. <laughs> there are places in Mississippi I wouldn't want to live. But as a whole, I would rather, I would rather live in the South. But there are a lot of people like you, and I think he's been genuinely taken aback with how how nice it is. He's Caleb and Calhoun. He's boy. Well, he is, and I don't think he take the fl- let. Me- Let me backtrack on something I said. I don't think he'd take the Florida State job because I think they kind of stiff-armed him when he expressed interest. I think he'd take Mm -hmm. the Florida job out of spite.
2: And then Tennessee has to worry because if Dion, with his recruiting ability, recruiting Florida, then I will say Tennessee's got, like, everybody will line up for that job as an assistant.
4: He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker off the hook sports. It is weekdays at 10 AM Hit like, and subscribe, share it with your friends. Tell a friend, leave us a review on our podcast channels. We appreciate it. Have a fantastic morning, afternoon, evening, whenever it may be. It's Mountain red said Boulder to Gainesville. That is a great point. The, the, um, a uh, personal enjoyment would not be the same in Gainesville as it is in Boulder. Have a fantastic day, evening, morning, afternoon, whatever it may be when you're watching. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker off the Sports.